We turn back now to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And we can centre our thoughts around verses 34 and 35. Luke chapter 2 and the verses 34 and 35. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. These words of Simeon, I feel, really sum up the whole teaching of the passage that we read together earlier. Perhaps they especially help us to focus on what this passage is teaching us because, of course, Simeon's words at this point begin with, Behold this child. And these words certainly sum up the whole of Luke chapter 2. Behold this child. You may remember that when we were looking uh, through Luke chapter 1, we saw that the child, even before the child was born, was almost bursting through to be noticed and to be acknowledged and to be wondered at. But now the child is born and is clearly seen. And the Holy Spirit's intent as he works through Luke in the writing down of this chapter, which is now Luke chapter 2, is certainly, Behold this child. And as Simeon also makes clear, Behold this child, because this child is to be the only saviour of the world. And what Luke does under the inspiration of the Spirit as he lifts up this child to us in this chapter, what he does to us at, for us at this early stage in his Gospel is to delineate for us the main elements of the work that is to be involved in Jesus being the Saviour of the world. Behold this child and behold the main elements of the work that he will do now that he is here. And so the first thing that I would like us to notice, and we have it really in our verse and we certainly have it in the surrounding passage, I want us to notice the humiliation of Jesus. The humiliation of of Jesus. This is a vital element in his work as Saviour. And the circumstances in which Simeon gives to us this prophecy describe for us very well this humiliation. Just the fact that when Simeon says, this child he is cradling in his arms a little baby, just a few weeks old. 
and the one by whom are all things and for whom are all things is this child so weak and so vulnerable in the arms of Simeon of course it is difficult for us to take it in but it is very right that we constantly ask the Spirit to help us to be convinced of the great and humiliating downward journey that our Lord, the Eternal One, Jesus Christ the Son, the great downward journey than he, that he took, the great restrictions and inabilities with which he clothed himself in his humanity that he might come where we are that he might be humiliated and humbled as we are and this is the one who is this child of Luke chapter 2 and it seems to me that his humiliation when we think of this child is emphasized again right at the end of the passage that we read if we go to verse 40 which was the last verse that we read a little earlier and this child the child the same child grew and waxed strong in spirit filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him the child grew the child became stronger day by day that tells us you see that the Lord of infinite power and strength and wisdom and grace became in his humanity daily the recipient of such strength and wisdom and grace daily he grew in physical strength so that each day he could say that lacks that he had in his humanity not sinful lacks but natural inadequacies typical of fallenness where supplied from above and God his Father through the work of the Holy Spirit enabled the child enabled the man Christ Jesus to become stronger and to become wiser and to be filled more and more with God's enabling grace as he grew in capacity mental and physical capacity to use that grace and that enabling helpless dependent that's what that verse 40 speaks about and so it tells us that the humiliation of Jesus 
his coming down to be like us, to feel what we feel, to experience what we experience, to develop in many of the ways that we develop, that he might understand us, that he might be like us, that there might be a solidarity between Christ and his people. That humiliation was his. But the passage speaks of other aspects of this humiliation. Luke wants to emphasize this humiliation right from the beginning. And this child underwent other procedures and was associated with other events, religious events. The first took place eight days after he was born. And it was that event that always took place on the eighth day when there was a male child born in Israel. I think we have a right to assume that it took place in Bethlehem. It certainly seems that the wise men visited Jesus there some time after he was born. And so it's more than likely that on the eighth day Jesus was still in Bethlehem, but it's not of great import. And he was circumcised. He had that bloody and painful operation done on him. The cutting away of the foreskin that spoke as the, New Te the Old Testament, the law of God in Old Testament times makes so clear. It spoke of the need for man in sin to have a cutting, purifying work done by God right at the generative root of humanity and Jesus also underwent this procedure that's not to allow us to believe when we weigh up the rest of scripture that he was a sinner but it is to allow us to see that right from the beginning there were many ways in which he was treated as a sinner as he was especially when he hung on the cross without sin no sinner himself but becoming sin for us he who knew no sin being identified at every point with the sinner's way. And then, some time later, the family go up to Jerusalem a few weeks later. And there they have to offer the sacrifice, the sacrifice particularly for Mary's purification. To deliver from the impurities associated with a bloody birth. And Jesus also is treated as one who is implicated in the need for such sacrifice to keep the whole family right with God. The humiliation is also emphasized by the fact that it is the sacrifice of the poorest of the poor that Mary and Joseph are able to offer. 
And that's the sacrifice that is offered, the turtle doves, the cheap sacrifice for those who could afford no more expensive to them, but costing very little. And so you see there is this association with the laws of the Old Testament. The laws that were preparatory. The laws that were there to lead us to Christ. To show us our need of a Savior. To show us the deep rootedness and the extensiveness of sin in the lives of all of us. And so as we see Jesus implicated in these sort of rituals, we wonder, can this really be the Son of God? Or is he also a sinner like ourselves? But no, the word makes it perfectly clear, especially perhaps in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4. When the fullness of the time was come, God sent his Son, made of a woman, made under the law. Made to take our place, you see, under the law. And to satisfy in every way on the behalf of his people. As the hymn writer puts it, In my place, condemned, he stood. And the picture of that humiliation taking the place of his people, it's not just there on Calvary towards the end of his life. It's there from the very beginning. It's such a vital part of the work that Jesus has come to do. And it's there later on when Jesus begins his public ministry and when he comes to be baptized with the baptism of repentance, he who needs not to repent himself, again he is made to be under the law and he takes that baptism for us, part of his humiliation. And when John says, I can't do such a thing, Jesus replied, let it be so now, it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Humbled to a place of living under the law in every respect, until finally he would die under the curse of the law against sin, that he might fulfill righteousness for his people that they might be justified, that they might receive a righteousness that Christ has worked out for them. That's what being justified me means. One of the commentators, you've probably often heard it, has described what this important word in the Bible means by saying it means justified. Just as if I'd never sinned. Just as if I'd never sinned. What's the righteousness that Christ is able to give to his people because of his humiliation? They can live before God with Christ's righteousness covering them from the wrath of God when they trust in Jesus just as if they'd never sinned because right from the beginning Jesus lived a life of humiliation just as if he had sinned. The righteous taking the place of the unrighteous. 
that the unrighteous through faith in him might take the place of the righteous. But then we need to move on and we need to see another aspect of the work. We need to see that the passage also and Simeon's words here begin to speak, perhaps in veiled terms, but begin to speak not only of the humiliation of Jesus, but of the exaltation of Jesus. There's a mingling right from the beginning in the way that Luke opens up the story of Jesus. This child who has come from heaven undergoing great humiliation. But there is no doubt that in the purposes of God, this same child has been born for great exaltation. We saw that already in Luke chapter 1, and it's here in Luke chapter 2 as well. God has prepared those who are waiting for Jesus. And who are able to recognize him even as a child, as God's saviour. There is evidence, you see, in Luke chapter 2 of the sending of the Holy Spirit from heaven to inspire people like Simeon and, and Anna so that they are ready to proclaim the truth concerning God's great and eternal purposes for this child, Jesus. And at verses 30 and 31, Simeon proclaims so clearly that this child is at the centre of God's purposes. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face, or for the face, of all peoples. The whole world that was the aim of Luke's gospel. It's here in the words of Simeon again. Here is one who can be lifted up and who can be shown as, as the only one for the salvation of all sorts of people, whoever they be, throughout the whole world. And then the intimation of uh, Simeon in the words of our text are beginning to suggest that with the humiliation there is going to be a compensatory exaltation because his coming is both for a falling and for a rising. We'll come back to that phrase in a minute, but it's foretelling, yes, perhaps in veiled language, the falling of the humiliation of the death of Jesus, but the rising afterwards of the exaltation of his resurrection. It seems to me that there is one interesting thing about the circumstance of this early proclamation of the exaltation of Jesus. And it's the fact that God, it seems to me specifically, uses old people to proclaim this great message of hope, of the exaltation that Jesus will know and that Jesus will bring about for others. I think it's not without significance that both Simeon and Anna are very near to death. 
the young may die but the old must die but the Christian old can be prepared by God to see the glories of exaltation surrounding the coming of the angel of day and I want to encourage those who have come to that time in their lives where they see most of their journey in this life behind them I want you to see and to believe and to know that you have a great ministry as long as the Lord leads you in this world and it is to proclaim with faith your hope in the exaltation that Jesus brings to his people at the end and I hope there would be none of us in this congregation who would despise the Christian old in any way indeed I'm feeling a bit guilty myself having come from St Vincent Street a very youthful congregation I've sometimes said to my friends oh the Pre North is quite an old congregation as if that was a disadvantage I think already I'm coming to see that if there was anything disparaging about these remarks they were very wrong because of course already I've come to know some of the Christian old and to see the value of a mature peaceable Christian life that belongs to many in this congregation you who are young in the faith would do well to try and get to know some of the Christian old of our congregation and you who feel that you are now well on in years but are the Lord's people be assured that God has a ministry for you to proclaim that you have confidence in the final exaltation that God has promised for all his people in Christ so we see the humiliation of Jesus the exaltation of Jesus but we see of course very clearly in the passage and in the words of our text something about the salvation of Jesus it is because of this humiliation and this exaltation that he is to be the saviour that he has a salvation that he is able to work and it is one aspect of this salvation particularly that Simeon brings out in our text and it's an aspect that's already been brought out early in the gospel of Luke and is going to be a constant theme because it's an important theme and it's the aspect of Christ's salvation that teaches us that when he comes with his salvation there is an inevitable challenge involved 
And that's the reason why Simeon, in the words of her text, talks about a twofold effect of the cross that he sees prophetically as he cradles the child Jesus in his arms. And he says, of course, that there will be those who will fall and rise through the cross and the resurrection. Let's go back to the words just for a minute. Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel and for a sign which shall be spoken against. And then it seems turning to Mary, he says, Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also. This child is saved for the falling and rising again of many in Israel. In other words, Simeon is saying, the salvation that this child brings will only come when there is a falling, a going down, a time of difficulty, a time of facing up, a time of seeing problems and tests, and then a consequent rising. And of course the pattern of Jesus' own life was to be the mark that this was to be the way of Christ's salvation. There was to be first a crucifixion, the picture of dying to sin, the picture of being buried with Christ, putting a final end to the old way of life, a falling, a having to recognize that the way we have been living is wrong. That all that we have been doing has been mingled with our sin, a falling. And then, as the resurrection of Jesus speaks of, arising again. Arising again with the old life past. Arising again in company with the victorious power of Jesus that can enable us that can equip us for all the difficulties that we have to face. And in that is set the pattern for Christian living. There's a rising and a falling that's not only there at the beginning of the Christian life, but it's there over and over again as we make progress in our lives. And as we die more and more to sin, as we mortify the sin that still remains with us, as we put it to death, as we crucify it by God's power, and as we rise anew from that sin that has been lingering or that has come back again when we thought we had conquered it, but yet again by God's grace through faith in the risen Christ, we can rise again a falling and arising again. And it's not easy. And Mary's grief, even the blessed Mary, the mother of Jesus, whom we have seen who had so much spiritual depth, as the Magnificat has already shown us, even she is to know such experiences when it seemed as if a sword would pierce 
her own soul. And so the pattern that Jesus has set is the same pattern that, Je that Simeon speaks of. Whosoever loses his life for my sake will save it. But there will be others who will come to that same cross and who will see it as the Jews and the Greeks of Paul's day when he wrote to the Corinthians. They will see it as foolishness. They will see it as a scandal. They will see it as unnecessary. They will see it as saying nothing to their lives. And Simeon has it there. And for a sign which shall be spoken against. There will be those who will see the significance of it because they will face up to their sin. But there will be those who, are, who will not. Maybe some of these are amongst us this evening. I was arrested to think of this fact just this week. When a friend told me of a conversation she had with an acquaintance didn't happen in this presbytery, but it did happen in a free church circumstance. And the conversation got round to the minister. It seems to be an occupational hazard. And the acquaintance of my friend said, Oh, I don't like the minister. I don't really listen to him when I go. He's always speaking about sin. I'm not a sinner. I'm not a sinner. That's a more or less regular free church attender. I'm not a sinner. I don't need to hear about sin. These are the people who find the cross a sign to be spoken against. And not only such people, but such people who may say, Oh, well, yes, I'm a sinner. But I don't need the fall and the rising again. But the death and resurrection of Jesus speaks of. This is the course for the salvation of Jesus that is saved by Simeon. It's a salvation that will bring challenge to us daily. Challenge to us about new ways in which we need to repent. New ways in which we need to change. In order to know more and more that the early chapters of Lucas full of. In order to know more and more of the joy of knowing Christ's salvation in our lives. It's a salvation that turns the world upside down. It's a salvation that will constantly be bringing a new order to our lives. It's a salvation that will be telling us again and again, in this area of your life or in that, there is need for a new falling and rising again. There is a need for a facing up to the fact, well, I thought things were okay there in my life. But no, 
There's something amiss here also. And I need to bring it to the cross. And I need to bring it to the word of God. And I need to find out what has to go, what has to change, what has to enter in. That I may walk on with Christ, crucified with him. And rising again by his grace to new obedience and to new righteousness that brings glory to our God who became for us this child. Amen.